Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark for Liberty, and joining me today is... The Cory Mustachioed Magnum P.I. Knockriner. Uh, if <laughs> you're not watching uh, the YouTube video, be happy that you don't get to see my silly little half handlebar mustache. <laughs> for I'm Movember. Su- I'm surprised that you didn't do a, a as tradition, Nostradamus reference. Uh, for this episode like you do every single year I, well one I literally thought about that when every single year part of it and two how often do people see me with a mustache that is a good point not very often uh, and I'll just... be doing a call to action in the outro too so I have my subtle reasons Ooh, there we go on today's episode as we just hinted at we will be discussing our 2022 cybersecurity predictions and grading ourselves on how well we ended up doing for the year. Nostradamus we'll, would be disappointed. <laughs> or maybe not. Will we get a passing grade? Who knows? will we have to go to summer school? Let's <laughs> stick around and find out with that. Let's go ahead and, uh, I don't know. Let's just walk Stir on. our tea leaves on in? Yeah, that's that's got to be it. So it is the end of the year. Uh, almost. It's close. halfway through November. Getting it's there. close enough to the end of the year that I already put up Christmas decorations. So Wow. Uh, you're early, Mark. <laughs> well, I mean getting there. Don't you wait till after Thanksgiving for that? Uh I would do for the external ones, but internal we already got rolling. Um, but anyways, close enough to the end of the year. Uh that's time for one of my favorite episodes we do every year. Uh, where we will go back through all of our cybersecurity predictions for our 2022 this year and grade ourselves on how well we did. So I guess like before we jump into that, Corey, do you want to like briefly introduce what the predict, like why we do predictions and? Oh yeah, sure. Kind of. So if you've hung out with us for the past three or four years, you probably know the predictions are are half fun, but also half trying to pay attention to real information security trends that might need to change your defenses. So predictions are always based on trends. We do see real actual trends, which I wouldn't call predictions, things that are already happening that we see in the industry or the internet security report, but we extend those trends to kind of additional predictions based on them. And we do it mostly for fun. You know, it's a good time at the end of the year to talk about what kinds of threats you might see next year. And the practical reason for that is if there's new types of threats, you might have to have new defenses and new things you might want to do as a security practitioner out there or, or a managed service provider. So we do them just kind of to share overall what are the trends we've seen and how that will affect the next year so that you can plan for it. But part of it is just we're security nerds. And by extend, I mean, we're kind of always going a little further than what the trend suggests and paying attention to macroeconomics, the just the general zeitgeist of society, and sometimes painting the worst possible picture or, or talking about the worst things that we hope don't happen, uh, but kind of as a warning that if things aren't taken care of, they could happen. So I think that's, you know, generally why we do them. I'd also like to point out that a lot of people do predictions every year, but we're one of the few ones brave enough to go back and actually judge whether or not our predictions were worth a darn. And historically, we we haven't exactly been straight A students over the oh, years. Oh, no. 
I don't think we've ever gotten more than a B if you go to by pure percentage. We haven't sucked though. I mean, <laughs> being that these are pre like predictions, your guess is as good as mine. We've had 70% before, but I think we've technically had four, under 50% four, before or just barely 50% because we gave ourselves a little half credit for for uh, some predictions. I'll talk about, I am sure you'll talk about the fun scale we use for full half or no percent or no credit. And honestly, this is one of those things where I consider a D minus. I mean, it is technically a passing grade and I'm happy to achieve one of those sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as for that grading scale, basically we'll go through, I think we had six predictions last year. We'll go through each of them and give it a either a win, a fail, or a meh with a win being one point, a meh being half a point, and a fail being none. And to give you some context for that, win is generally means like the idea of the prediction came true, maybe not in the exact verbiage that we wrote it down, but the, the point we we're trying to get across mostly came to pass. Meh is like, you know, there was some activity around it, you know, maybe kind of got a little right, missed some of the more detailed elements potentially, or maybe it's just another few years out for the the, the real big whammy of that prediction. And then a fail is just straight up missed the mark. Usually that happens because we predicted something to happen this year that probably won't happen for a few more years. Uh, that We've had plenty of predictions. By the way, that's the a good where... point. Yeah, I, I would point out that there's many predictions that we even gave ourselves a fail for the year because it was a clear fail. But to be honest, that's not because we're off base. Often some of them have come true one or two years later. We're just a little too good at predicting the future and comes a little prematurely sometimes, I suppose. I think it's because we like to do the more outlandish one. Like, really, if we were logical, some of the most, like, uh, one we're considering, we're not going to leak any of the predictions for next year. That will come in a podcast episode in a few weeks. But there's ones where we're clearly talking about technology that the market hasn't really adopted in full yet so we're we know we're going to be early to the prediction but it's still fun to talk about because the trends around it are still very real yeah so with that like let's go ahead and dive in and hit the first one so our first prediction from 2020 uh, was titled state sponsored mobile threats trickle down to the cybercrime underworld and so to give some context to this first off like there's a whole bunch of different types of cyber threat actors that are out there, you know, hacktivists that are just trying to like bring to, uh, something to people's attention or cause mayhem. There's cyber criminals, which are typically financially motivated. They're going to try and extort you out of money with ransomware, uh, extort you to uh, stop them from releasing files that they've stolen from you, that sort of thing. And there's nation state backed organizations where it's a international right national government that is providing funding potentially and it's typically politically motivated or in some countries human rights motivated and so this prediction uh builds off of the whole pegasus and nso group uh mobile spyware issues that have been cropping up over the past few years or at least brought to the limelight the past few years where uh, to bring you up to speed, if for some reason you missed everything about Pegasus and NSO Group, it is a spyware tool for iOS and I believe Android as well too, uh, developed by a private organization, NSO Group, but used largely by nation states. In fact, they entirely market it to government organizations, whether that be law enforcement or federal agencies. Uh, they claim it's entirely for law enforcement activities, you know, anti-terrorist activities. 
the reality is we've seen Pegasus pop up targeting political dissonance, uh, journalists, all sorts of individuals by different targeted by different governments. But Pegasus and I guess the vulnerabilities that enabled the spyware were actually really sophisticated. In fact, mobile phone uh, vulnerabilities tend to be some of the most highest paying for bug bounty and even more higher paying uh, types of vulnerabilities on the underground because like everyone has a phone these days, especially like an iPhone. If you find a, a zero click vulnerability in an iPhone, that thing's worth millions of dollars, even just giving it to Apple as a uh, through their bug bounty program. Um, but because of the the cost and the complexity of a lot of these issues, uh, malware like Pegasus and the vulnerabilities it exploits have typically been limited to nation state organizations purchasing, licensing, using whatever them. Um, but we've also seen that secrets and hacking tech and tools used by nation states don't tend to always stay with them. I think a really good example of that was the NSA back in, what was it, 2017, I think, 2016, um, was hacked by the shadow brokers who stole a bunch of zero-day vulnerabilities that ended up fueling the WannaCry ransomware variant once those were published on the internet. I would say another reason that I, I, I supported this prediction was just things like Stuxnet. There's many cases where nation states do very sophisticated new attacks. Stuxnet, you know, you know, it was probably started between 2007 and 2010, allegedly the U.S. government in Israel, creating very advanced set of Windows and programmable logic controller malware rootkits that used lots of Windows Zero Day, that used lots of novel techniques, clearly a big nation state threat. But as soon as information about that malware leaked, things like the Zero Day shortcut uh, vulnerability it leveraged Many botnets adopted it a week later. You know, cyber criminals don't maybe have the resource or the technical, you know, research understanding sometimes to find that new zero day in an Android or iOS phone. But if they can get their hands on things like the NSO group's Pegasus spyware, they can learn from it and maybe adopt you know, use those techniques themselves. So similar to what you're saying, besides nation state tools leaking, I also think that if nation states start using threats that leak to the public, the bad guys, the cyber criminals will, will copy a lot of those techniques very quickly. They may not so be our, the smartest, but they certainly know how to bandwagon onto existing tech. So our prediction basically boiled down to, we expected to see an increase in cybercrime mobile malware uh, used by cyber criminals instead of uh, used by um, like the cybercrime underworld instead of just nation state backed. And I'll, I'll wait and hear what you say, Corey, on this one. I graded it a, a fail. I personally think we missed it. Like there's plenty of spyware that's out there, but I haven't seen any substantial increase in like mobile spyware developed by cyber criminals versus still continuously being used by nation states. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. It's a total fail. I, that's not to say mobile malware hasn't existed all throughout 2022 or even spyware coming from cyber criminals. But really, this prediction was something about, you know, something on the level of Pegasus would start to leak and the volume would go up. And I don't think I've seen much evidence of volume rising any more than the the normal increase of it every year and certainly nothing that was a clear this is something pegasus did or this was related to some other nation state mobile attack so unfortunately i don't even think we can give it a meh here
I do still think that the trend we're really trying to get out there is mobile-based attacks are growing and are really a huge vector. The good news is mobile devices tend to have a lot more operating system security and a lot more of uh, e signed software ecosystems that make it harder to take over than traditional computers in some ways. But everybody uses mobile devices and pretty much all of your important information like your email and, and if it's a personal device, all your banking, pretty much everything you do in life is there. So I still think the trend is important to pay attention to. Mobile threats will continue to rise. And I think finding vulnerabilities are so hard in mobile devices that it's going to be nation states that drive the you know, the payments, the the spending the money to find these new vulnerabilities that one day might leak, but total fail for happening this year. Yep. So, uh, so far a zero out of one, a zero percent. Uh, even my mother would be disappointed by that grade. Yeah, I'd have to pay. My parents would, uh, would give me money for A's and B's, neutral if it was a C, but I would have to pay money back if I got D's or F's. So right now I'd owe my parents money. My parents were happy when I just passed the class and didn't have to go to summer school. <laughs> Anyways, continuing on. <laughs> um, so the next prediction was news of hacker or news of hackers targeting space hits the headlines. And this one is all about cybersecurity in outer space and satellite hacking. So there's been a lot of research at DEF CON over the years. They've even brought like physically brought satellites to DEF CON for uh, researchers at this conference to go try and hack them and find vulnerabilities. Um, many countries have started or accelerated their own space race. We've seen Starlink really explode as a private company, um, putting up a bunch of satellites in space. And we figured just the increase in really sophisticated technology going up there, um, paired with you know the potentially old technology that's going up there that maybe has or old technology that's already up there um, would combine into uh, individuals or governments targeting satellites yeah. with hacking attacks. And, and, and to me, it was more, you know, we called it a space hack, so it could be more than satellites, but we were thinking satellites. And while there's definitely old technology up there that's easier to hack with, you know, $300 of radio equipment, I actually was more basing it on just the pure volume of commercial space. Starlink's a perfect example, but they're one of many. You know, it used to be just government's got stuff up there. But now, what does Musk have now? Has he hit 10,000 Starlink satellites? I know he had well over 5,000 a while back. He's going to have to sell so. them all to pay for Twitter at some point here soon. <laughs> for sure. He'll lose them all into Twitter bankruptcy. But uh, the, the point is the, ex the attack surface is huge. I would say on the positive note, Starlink is, you know, modern technology as opposed to the old satellites that may not have thought about information security. So they probably come with a little more security in general, but just increasing the attack surface that much and having some commercial targets instead of government targets, we thought would lure more attackers, nation state or otherwise. Yep. And so when it comes to the verdict, I gave this one a win, and I'm curious to see if you agree, but my thought process was, so we even saw research at Black Hat and DEF CON this year of a specific researcher that was not hacking the satellite itself, but the base stations that connect to the network. And he proposed that through that access, you could potentially impact the rest of the network as well, too. We also saw- Yeah, the I, I, 
I, I went to that talk and I think I, internally I told our team I thought it was a win then. Uh, what he was able to do is by rooting the base station, he can now see all the traffic in clear text instead of the encryption it used before. It didn't give him a direct hack of a Starlink satellite yet, but it was a big step towards seeing everything that was being communicated, which really opens the door. And the second one you're probably about to get to, to me, is even the bigger uh, reason because there it was a real attack. Well, yeah, at the onset, well, I was going to highlight the onset of the Ukraine war as well. We saw a lot of rumblings of Russia interfering with not just Starlink, but other potential government satellites too. Uh, and then there was also reports from the U.S. themselves that they had been potentially targeted in some cyber attacks on satellites. And that's exactly what I'm referencing. To be more specific, it's the Viasat attack. Viasat is a, a company that has satellites in the U.S. And while Again, interestingly, I still give us a win for this. This wasn't, you know, we were imagining the attack being on the satellite itself, but in the Viasat attack where they did disrupt satellite operations for at least an hour, so it was uh, effective. And by the way, it was an hour right before Russian troops were invading Ukraine. Uh, they targeted the ground control, you know, for some of these big Viasat satellites, there's, you know, just like a scientific station the government uses, there's, you know, uh, do you call them big, big dishes on the ground to communicate with the satellites? So it was attack where they were targeting that side of things, not necessarily the satellite itself, but it still resulted in, in satellite outages that were designed to kind of be a smokescreen during the attack. So. To me, and then they used wiper malware, I believe, uh, something called acid rain uh, against these Viasat modems and routers. Knocked a bunch of wind turbines off the networks too that were relying on these uh, satellite connectivity for their their access too. Yeah. So to me, even though that that you know hit the end of the communication, I wasn't expecting the Earth-based one instead of the satellite-based one. It still was a satellite hack. So to me, that is really the reason we probably won. Although the Starlink research would have kind of, if it were just the Starlink research, I think I would have still given us a meh. But uh, the Viasat thing, you know, kind of nailed it. So we're up to 50% now, still a fail, uh, but uh, making progress. We'll see what we can make up over the course of the rest of the predictions. Uh, the next one is Spear SMS Smishing Hammers Messenger Platforms. So this one, the context for this was, you know, text-based phishing. So typical traditional SMS phishing. It's been around for a while. It's actually being regularly used by cyber threat actors. We probably all, I mean, I don't know about you listeners, but I feel like I get at least one a week of just random phishing attempts to my texting inbox. Thankfully, T-Mobile actually does a decent job of sending them straight to the spam directory, but like they do seem to be relatively prevalent. Alongside that, a lot of uh, teams and people and even entire countries, in the case of like Europe as an example, have moved away from SMS-based text messaging to dedicated messaging apps. Like WhatsApp is really popular. Facebook Messenger is still technically around. Uh, Signal, all the likes there too. And so our prediction was the combination of the growth in SMS-based messaging and these regular uses of more detailed apps that can provide additional metadata and additional opportunities to impersonate someone past just copying a phone number. Pictures. Pictures, uh, that are, yep. It's like a social media account. It, it's easier to 
you know, you either spoof some like a phone number. If you know someone's phone number, it may be hard to spoof that. But uh, if what you see isn't the phone number, but just a picture of a person, it's pretty trivial for someone to get a picture of Mark if they look hard enough. Yep. And so our prediction was technically we expected to see targeted phishing messages over many plat over these messaging platforms double in 2022. But the prediction, be, like, sorry, to be frank on that, like it's hard to quantify it and difficult for us to say yes. That was just us throwing double. out a, a number of increasing Correct. a bit. And I will say, by the way, I think I, I probably failed at putting smishing in the description because while we we acknowledge that text-based phishing you know, SMS-based phishing is is increasing too. The focus wasn't on that because I don't think that is a prediction that was happening. We were just using smishing to describe the type of phishing that, you know, these these mobile messaging apps, for all intents and purposes, seem like text apps with just a little more multimedia. So it was less focused on the the phone text messages and more focused specifically on WhatsApp and the others. But you're you're right. It's very hard for us to 100% solidly quantify if we doubled. But uh, if I can jump in, I'd love to hear your thoughts too. I still kind of think this one is a win. And, and yeah, so so some of the reasons are uh, one, we're just seeing it. Uh, we've had multiple reports as a company and have had even done a, a few trainings where executives and even other people in sales uh, or, or people all over the company have received WhatsApp messages that seem to be from executives or, or other people that they work with regularly. And they're clearly not those people. And we've had to do a little bit of additional training to make sure people watch out for it. And it seems to be happening most in WhatsApp. Uh, we haven't found any quantifiable data to see how much it's increased, but from our perspective, it's definitely increased. And I'll let you share your other examples as well. The other big one is there was a fairly massive hack that involved WhatsApp specifically. So the Uber breach, it was a combination of them blowing up the, uh, the person they were targeting to kind of worm their way into the network, blowing them up with push-based notifications. But then after they had sat there with that MFA fatigue or whatever you want to call it, they sent them a message on WhatsApp claiming to be from the IT department and said, hey, just accept that and it'll stop happening. And that's what allowed them to gain access to that user's account and then gain access ultimately to Uber's network. And that was a pretty substantial breach, at least in terms of the amount of resources they had access to. So I agree. I think that's a win too. Um, I think we're at uh, we're officially passing with the D, right? At sixty six point six six infinitum percent D territory right now, which is good. I, that <laughs> still lets you graduate high school. <laughs> <laughs> so that said, let's move on to the next one now. Uh, so this next prediction was passwordless authentication fails long term without MFA. So it was, I think. Early last year, maybe the late the year before, Microsoft officially killed the password uh, where for your Microsoft account now, you can sign up or go in through your account settings and entirely remove the password and instead replace it with one or any other single or hopefully multiple factors to authenticate in. So instead of logging with a password, you can get a link sent to your email, you can get a push sent to your authenticator app, that sort of thing. And they're not the only ones. Uh, the rise in like FIDO tokens uh, have enabled passwordless authentication across a lot of different applications and web browsers and tools. Um, but our prediction was 
like more often than not, or at least in some cases, uh, you're not replacing a, a password with multiple factors. You're replacing it with just a single other factor. And that is a weakness in that authentication there. Uh, the reality is you still need multiple factors in order to secure an account. And if you're just pivoting from one single factor to a different single factor, you're leaving yourself open to a cyber attack. So our prediction was we expect hackers to find a way to bypass passwordless authentication, uh, proving that we didn't learn from the past lessons and that the reality is it doesn't matter still what need the MFA. Factors, you still need multiple yeah. factors. And it could be passwordless MFA. It's perfectly possible to have a MFA multiple token solution that never makes you enter any sort of password or, or one-time pin. So it's not just, you know, it, we, we don't think passwordless is bad. We just think reliances on single factors are bad. So I, that said, gave this one a fail personally. Um, so I, like my criteria on that was there wasn't really any new research, any new major incident bypassing any of the single factor passwordless authentication technology. You, you said the key word even when we wrote this prediction was it research would have qualified even if it was something that wasn't exploited. If I saw, you know, I was expecting at Black Hat or DEF CON someone to talk about how to get past Windows Hello. If I saw one of those, and maybe there is one, we haven't seen every presentation, but I'm not aware of any big research that got past a passwordless system. So I will say this is a fail. We're going to give us our uh, probably zero points for it. But this is one I think is a super high probability of coming true. You know, it's to me, it's not about if it's about when. So definitely failed for our predictions for 2022. But uh, I, I would still think about this trend and, and consider MFA solutions in the future because I think it's what everyone will have to do. I agree entirely. And I think that like one of the my biggest issues with like is specifically picking on Microsoft here, uh, their passwordless solution is at least some of the alternatives to the password are objectively worse than a password. Like one of them being a link sent to an email where now all you have to do is compromise their email. You don't have to compromise the password for the Microsoft account because it doesn't exist. You just have to get that link sent and now one account gets you into two separate applications. So I think there are still, like you just said, a lot of room for someone to find a issue in this and potentially exploit it. I feel like there's still a lot of room for researchers to find issues in some of the protocols that some of these single factor passwordless authentications use. and. It is definitely just a matter of when, not if on that one. But unfortunately for now, we're back down to a 50%, which is an F. Moving on to prediction number five, it was titled Companies Increase Cyber Insurance Despite Soaring Costs. And so this one I felt like was driven a little bit just even by our own experiences and talking to our partners as well for their experiences in that cyber insurance has really started to skyrocket with some of the premiums, and not even just that, some of the requirements to even get insured. Like it felt like- I would say ago, more important, the requirements. I mean, the cost rise sucks, but I, I think the companies are getting a real slap in the face by realizing how many hoops they want to jump through and the fact that they could be declined. People are literally sometimes having insurers say no because their security practices aren't good enough. Yeah, the questionnaires you can get from cyber insurance providers these days are extremely rigorous and what they are looking for from your organization. Like, and a lot of it is covering the basics like multi-factor authentication for remote access. Um, but for some organizations, they still haven't even made it that far in their cybersecurity program. And like you said, 
you could undo a, a point where it's not even that it's too expensive. You just, they straight up won't insure you. And they're going beyond the basics too, I would say, because it's not just the questionnaire. They follow up the questionnaire with active scan. I mean, they they use people that do things that they don't legally have to get your permission for, but they, they do domain intelligence. They scan any public IPs that you have services exposed on, and they ask follow-up questions. So I would say it's a, a, a security practice, a one-on-one security practice, is you shouldn't have too many domain administrator accounts but sometimes they will follow up and find out exactly how many, you know, so they're going beyond just the 101 advice and asking you for raw numbers and then following up with, when are you going to fix this? You know, here's the industry standard. I will say, by the way, this is my cynical opinion. I think this this could be good for security despite the pain in the butt and the cost. I actually don't mind it in general, but it's their own fault. The reason they're doing this is they've lost money the past few years because they've been paying for ransom. And I've always had an issue with them not having long-term actuary tables on does paying ransom, does paying extortion actually help save them money? Or does it just mean criminals will double down on this effort and get more and more money from them? I think they've learned the answer to that question and probably have at least five years of actuary tables now. And this is why they're actually requiring people do good security before insuring them. So for this one, I, I, I gave it a win, but I don't exactly feel like proud about it because this felt like a no-duh kind of prediction when we made it. And that it is pretty clear that cyber insurance is driving security improvements across organizations because at this point, like you really do need cyber insurance in order to make sure that you can survive a potential incident. And if you can't get it because you don't have the right defenses deployed, like it's it becomes a major business issue for the organization. I, I feel less bad about it because when we made the prediction, it was clear the costs had come up. And the TPP were talking about how the security survey went from five questions to 300, but I hadn't heard of many people getting declined. I, I hadn't heard of things like required uh, vendor lists. So it's not just about you have this security control, but you have to be on a list of required vendors. During 2022, you know, so I feel like they changed these requirements right near the end of 2021. But during 2022, I started hearing lots of stories of people that were dropped when they were renewed, had to find different insurers. So while you're right, this was something that was, this was a trend that was clearly, the trend was happening when we made the prediction, no doubt. I think what 2022 did prove is is that the required that the driving of compliance is real. This wasn't just them doing security questionnaires and and making you go through a lot of answers. This was literally them not actually you know taking on certain clients. So yeah, I I I, I get what you're saying. Why it could be a meh, but I would still give it a win. Okay, and I, I tell you what, at all the security conferences, it, it is the topic of 2022. Anybody, uh, whether they're managed service providers, end users, everyone is struggling during 2022 with figuring out the changes to to cyber insurance. I mean, even anecdotally, some of the like smaller trade show events I've been to, the cybersecurity insurance related talks have been the most popular ones out of the entire conference, which if you told me that 
bunch of tech folks would be sitting in a room listening to someone talk about insurance as the the talk they wanted to go to most like three years ago. I mean, like half no way. But I mean, it's just the reality that we're in right now. Absolutely. So that gives us a three out of five so far, which is back up to a just squeaking in with a D at 60%. Go us. Exactly. <laughs> uh, moving in to the, the final prediction for 2022. And this one was titled, and we'll call it Zero Trust. And this basically was somewhat of a, like not cynical, but like tongue-in-cheek point out that for the past like decades, cybersecurity practitioners have been preaching about the principle of least privilege. So only giving access explicitly what access someone needs in order to do their job and nothing more. And it's something that we've been yelling from the rooftops forever, but now Gartner has developed this admittedly pretty good buzzword to label it, um, which has helped the concept take off and be easily discussed across organizations and executives and even non-technical individuals. So the prediction if I, that- if I if I were add to that, by the way, I, I agree with you. We we kind of make fun of it because least the the concept of of least privilege has always been there but the reason i think they needed to have a zero trust i I think what zero trust really applies to which was missing across the industry despite everyone understanding the least privilege principle is applying that to people you trust you know i think everyone knows that the least privilege principle should have also applied to people you trust because, for instance, we have document confidentiality that the government uses where even people that work in the government can't see top secret unless they're classified for it. But among the private industry, our least privilege principle is mostly if you're not my employee, I'm going to apply the least privilege principle. But if you are my employee, I'm going to forget all about it. So we make fun of zero trust because it shouldn't have to exist. But I think the reason it it was reinvented is because we have been, as an industry, we've been doing so bad at applying it internally rather than externally. So to me, whenever I talk about zero trust, I really have it more a focus on the employees themselves. It's not just restrict. You already know you have to restrict people that you don't know. This is more about figuring out the right set of privileges for the people you do know. Yep. And so our exact prediction was in 2022, the majority of organizations will finally enact some of the oldest security concepts all over their networks, and they will call it zero trust. So I think that qualifier in there of majority is why I'm only giving this one a meh. I'm not going to give it a straight up fail because I think some zero trust related tools and technologies have uh, been taken off or at least become more prevalent over the last year. But I think we're still quite a ways away from being able to say the majority of organizations have some form of like zero trust fully enacted across their company. But what did we really for? say fully enacted? I'll have to go I back and read the enacted. description because I actually would give us a win on this. What's hard for me, the only reason I could lean towards Met is there's no like external analyst data I can that I found that I can use to quantify this. Gartner has increased their percentages for how many people will continue to adopt zero trust going forward. So that has definitely increased, which suggests some of their earlier predictions have already happened. You know, I, I, 
I didn't think customers would fully enact it during the year. I, I thought more people would start their plans or, or start to use some technologies for it. And to me, zero trust, just like insurance, is a topic you hear in every presentation at any security event. People are using different types of tools. There's a whole new acronym. You know, we, we love analyst acronyms. I say sarcastically like SASE, Secure Access Service Edge, which is not an intuitive acronym. But it, it holds lots of zero trust concepts, including zero trust network access. And I've seen a lot of companies, VPN does work, but in this you know increasingly cloudy mobile world, you don't want full tunnels just to your headquarters. You want selective encryption for certain use cases. Some of them are SaaS use cases, some of them are public clouds use cases, and some are on-prem use cases. But you don't necessarily want every traffic, every bit of traffic from a remote user going to on-premise when Outlook is actually in the cloud. So I feel like there's been an increase in zero trust technologies being sold. I feel like every CISO out there, other than the smallest company, probably has at least a plan for zero trust and talking about it internally so i might give us a win but i do get it it's it's the type of thing as with a lot of our predictions where it's you know unless some analyst out there decides to go survey 2000 to 10 10,000 companies and ask the specific question we happen to make a prediction around it's hard to have the quantifiable facts for this one to you know to to know for sure so i admit it's an anecdotal judgment mostly from conversations i'm having with partners and end users when i do get I out in the field think for the sake of padding our grades i'll i'll take your win i'll win <laughs> Let's just say this teacher graded us on a curve this year. There we go. <laughs> as as it is every year with these predictions. But anyways, <laughs> that does bring us to a whopping four out of six, which is, you know, all things considered, pretty good. That's a solid D right there. Maybe a D yeah, plus. Yeah, that, gets, that, that, that gets us back to the 66.666 forever. So uh, very much a D, not quite a C. <laughs> but I'll take it. And for sure, that is still one of the, the better years I think we've had. Uh, we've had some years that oh, we've had some we that were 70, 70 and I, I think 180. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I will say, uh, we aren't quite ready to share our predictions for 2023 yet. We're still we've just about gotten finalized, but I am feeling pretty good about them leading into next year. Yeah, I, I don't want to spoil any of them, so I'm not going to share anything exact about them. But but some of the themes include social engineering around MFA. We talk about insurers in a different way. You know, we talk about AI used in coding. Uh, there's you know automated self-driving cars and consumer drones. None of, and and by the way, a term I'm sure uh, Meta investors love to hear. I say sarcastically with the metaverse. So without giving away any of the actual predictions, those are some of the themes we'll be discussing. So it'll be kind of interesting, in my opinion. You know, not just dealing with business IT, but interesting. You know, consumer technologies out there and services that are showing up in society. Yep. So we're, we'll be ready to share them probably sometime in early December. I will say, if you've got your own predictions for 2023, please shoot them our way and we will discuss them on that episode as well, too. I'd love yeah, to hear what, hashtag the 443 podcast, right? Yep. I'd love to hear what everyone else has to say about the uh, the upcoming year and what they expect cybersecurity predictions wise. 
It would be great if you let us know in the next few weeks. We can talk about them on the show. And uh, so if you do tweet at us, also let us know if it's okay to refer to your Twitter handle and we can give you credit. Yep. So with that said, though, solid 66.6 repeating percent. I'm going to go print this one off and hang it up on the fridge for the, for yeah. the next year. I'm going to send it to uh, where ISC squared to see if it counts for any CP credits. <laughs> let me know how that goes. Good luck. That's it. I already let mine fall through, so who cares? <laughs> Anyways, please do send those predictions to us, and uh, if we get them, we will chat about them on the uh, that 2023 predictions episode when we record that in a few weeks. But hey, go us. Gold star. <laughs> or maybe kind of a, a shady star. bronze one with a little <laughs> coppery mildew growing on it. But that's okay. We polished up the piece of poop. <laughs> Technically passing, and that's all that matters. At least that's what I told my parents back in the day. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics, suggestions for future episode topics, or if you want to give us your predictions for 2023, shoot them to us on Twitter for as long as that platform exists. Uh, I'm at XO. But we only accept them from blue verified stars that are paying $8 a month. So there's that. Correct. You got to pay the entry fee or we're just going to ignore it. Uh, I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey is at SecAdept. And the both of us are at hashtag the 443 podcast. And before Thanks you, you end, listening. real quick, Go Mark, before it. before you do that, I'm going to kind of overtake your podcast to say November is actually a period of time a lot of folks do something called Movember with a M, where they decide to grow facial hair, specifically mustaches, to kind of support uh, the you know uh, male health things like uh, prostate and testicular cancer. So if you're feeling inclined to help out, that is why I have my silly half handlebar mustache that is uh, giving Mark a lot of roasting material. Uh, but if you feel inclined, I'm going to have Mark have the link to uh, our team's page where you can uh, donate to the team or even me directly if you prefer uh, for the charity of Movember. So just wanted to throw that in there, Mark, before you go ahead and continue. Yeah, very great cause uh, and a <laughs> fantastic mustache. Um, and with that, <laughs> you will hear from us next week. <laughs>